Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times at a location near you, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Well, today, uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Savannah DiBenedetto, and I'm one of the next generation pastors here at Seven Hills Church. And before we go any further, I just want to take a quick moment. I want to welcome all of those who are watching with us, our Seven Hills Cincinnati location, our Seven Hills South location. If you're watching online or at uh, one of our prison locations, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, It truly is an honor and a privilege for all of us to be here in church together. Uh, But I'm here with uh, dear friends of ours. This is Dr. Nathan Hudson. He's an incredible physician. And this is Katie Hudson. Her background is uh, in family counseling. And um, they are both absolutely brilliant. They love Seven Hills Church with their whole heart. And I consider them to be family. So thank you guys so much for being here. You might be wondering, what are we doing today? Why, what, why are they up here? Um, well, a really big conversation that is happening in the world right now, especially with young people, is the conversation surrounding mental health. And there's this stigma that the church either should not be involved or does not want to be involved in this conversation, but that's so far from the truth. The truth is, is that mental health has different components. There's mental components, there's physical components, there are emotional components, but there are also spiritual components. And so for the church to not be involved in this conversation would be to neglect to look at mental health in its entirety. And so that's what uh, we're here to do today is to talk about mental health and not just how it's affecting teenagers, but even adults at large. And we're not claiming to be experts, by the way. Uh, this is just a topic that we're all really passionate about. And we all have experience uh, with our own battles with mental health. And so this conversation that we're about to have today is uh, the conversation that we had at Central Youth Camp. And Pastor Marcus just really believed that this conversation was not just for young people, but for the whole church, which by the way, don't you love your pastor? Do you love Pastor Marcus and Pastor Sarah? He loves you so much. If you wanna know what he talks about all the time, it's you guys and it's Geo. So the two loves of his life. Um, but again, he, he loves you very much. Um, and so I wanna turn the conversation over to Dr. Hudson. I don't wanna waste any time today. Their content is so good. But Dr. Hudson, could you tell us a little bit about what exactly we're gonna be diving into in regard to mental health today? So mental health, anxiety, and depression, they can be really challenging topics to discuss, especially in a group setting like this. And As Christians, we believe that there certainly is a spiritual side of things like Savannah already touched on. But as a physician, I also believe there can be a a physical component to to mental health. There are certain, you know, disease processes and conditions that can predispose people to struggle with anxiety and depression. There there can be physical changes in the brain to where you have an imbalance of neurochemicals that set you up to have depression or anxiety. And if that's the case, you may benefit from from being on a medication. Or, Or maybe there's people here who have dealt with significant trauma in their past. And and you may benefit from the help of a Christian counselor to kind of process through that, to figure out how deeply it's affected you and how you get on the road to healing. So one of the ways we like to start out is by saying, if you feel like you may need medication, you feel like you may need professional counseling, there is absolutely no guilt and no shame in that. We here at the church and Jesus himself wants you to get that help. And so as a physician, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about my job is I believe that God will partner with healthcare professionals to help bring about healing. 
Ultimately, all healing is from God. I believe that with my whole heart, yeah. But again, the reason I'm passionate about what I do is I believe that there are times God will partner with health, healthcare professionals to help bring about his healing uh, in, in a more you know, medicine-based way. So if you're a student here and you feel like you may benefit from counseling or medication, we encourage you, talk to your parents, talk to your guardians. Parents, be ready for these conversations because we're encouraging them to come to you to, to admit that they're, that they're not okay. And we actually think that's very courageous that they're saying, hey, I'm not okay. I wanna get the help that I need to really live the life that God intended for me. And if you're an adult here and you're having similar thoughts, we encourage you, talk to your family doctor, seek out the help of a Christian counselor because we really want you to experience life Life to the full. And one of the things we like to do anytime we talk to a group of this size is we don't know what everyone's dealing with. We like to share the suicide hotline. It's just 988. And if you're ever having really difficult thoughts, more weighty than you feel like you can carry on your own, we want you to know that there's help out there. As Pastor Lucas said, we don't want you to make a permanent decision based on a temporary problem. We're believing with you if you're struggling with these thoughts that you will find healing. There is hope in Jesus and there's hope in your future. So why we wanted to start with that, you know, from stage, we can't really talk about the, the, you know, the medication and the counseling. And so we're gonna leave that for uh, individualized discussions, but we wanna focus more on the spiritual side of, of things this morning. And one of the things I've been praying about over the last few months is we knew we were gonna be talking at CYC and just really asking God, what was it that he wanted to share? And I've just been praying, asking God, like, why is it that anxiety is so prevalent in our society? And I think there's a lot of different facets to it. I think that you know some of it is the advance in technology that was not designed with our personhood in consideration, the information overload that we deal with. I think obviously the COVID uh, pandemic played, played a huge role, that in the lockdowns and really triggering some mental health issues. But one of the things I really felt the Lord impress upon me is that one of the spiritual side of things contributing to anxiety and depression is idolatry. And, and that may seem kind of random to you, maybe really obscure to the point that you're like, well, I don't, I don't have an idol on my mantle at home. I personally don't struggle with idolatry. So this probably doesn't relate to me. Uh, and I definitely don't really see how it ties into mental health. And up until a few months ago, I would have been in the exact same boat as you. And I, felt, I would have felt very similarly if I was hearing this for the first time. But I really feel that over the last few months that God's really shown me what an impact that idolatry can have in our mental health and, and how prevalent it is. And when we use the term idolatry, we're referring to anything in any time we shift our primary affection from God to anything else. Sometimes I think in the church, we can reduce modern day idolatry down to materialism or having an unhealthy attachment to possessions or money. And, and while I think it certainly includes that, um, there's so much more to it than that. And a lot of the things that we struggle with in our day-to-day -day lives are idols and we may not even know it. Timothy Keller says, an idol is anything you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. He goes on to say, there are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. 
and we'll talk more about idolatry and what it looks like practically in just a minute. We're, we're gonna dive into the story of Jesus in the wilderness when the enemy comes to, to tempt him. And we feel that each of those three temptations represent three idols that you may have be experiencing in your life and you may not even realize it. We believe this story, through this story, Jesus really exposes the invisible battle that we're all dealing with, where the enemy tries to take lies and distortions to shift our affection from the Father to anything else. And so again, we'll come back to that. But before that, I wanna just touch on this idea of how does idolatry and mental health go together? And it was actually just a few weeks ago here on a Sunday morning in worship at Seven Hills where I was just kind of worshiping and I just really felt that the Lord kind of impressed upon me that a lot of the times when we experience anxiety, it's a symptom of our heart believing lies from the enemy. And I think that, what can happen over time is we, we don't even recognize that the enemy is, is placing lies into our mind and they get incorporated into the way that we think. And anything that comes from the devil comes to steal, to kill and destroy. So any thoughts he's planning in your thought life over time will lead to negativity. It will affect our thought life, affects our emotions. And because that negativity from the enemy will lead to negative thinking, it'll lead to toxic emotions like anxiety and depression and all types of mental health issues. So I heard a pastor once say that any area of your life that is without hope is under the influence of a lie. And I hope by the end of this talk, you'll see that one of the primary lies that the enemy uses, us, uses to bind us in hopelessness is that you can find ultimate fulfillment, ultimate, ultimate joy, ultimate peace, ultimate purpose in anything other than Jesus. That's the lie of idolatry. And while I'm pretty sure you'll likely never be tempted to bow down before a statue, I do think you may very well be tempted to, to put your hope in academic or athletic success or maybe success at work, that maybe you'll put your hope in, in the way that you look or a romantic relationship, or you just really um, crave the uh, approval and praise of others. And maybe you think that if I just get the right job to where I can make enough money to finally live the comfortable life that I've always dreamed of, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be happy. If I could just achieve this thing I've been working so hard for and get the acknowledgement I want, then I'll be able to feel like I have value and that I'm worthy. Or maybe if you can just control the certain set of circumstances to work out the way you really want it, at that point, you'll really be able to find rest and security. Just this week in my quiet time, I came across a passage in Deuteronomy. It was chapter 28, verse 65, where it describes people who have fallen into idolatry. And this is what it says. It says that they will have an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing and a despairing heart. How many times in our society do we see people with an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, knowing there has to be something more to life and a despairing heart? And that's describing people who have fallen into the trap of idolatry. And these, these aren't bad people. This is even Christian people. The things we're talking about up here, these are things that we've realized have crept into our life. And so we've had to turn that over to Jesus. And so the hope is that having this discussion will expose the lies that we've accepted as truth from the enemy. And we can see them for what they are and allow the Holy Spirit to begin his work in us. And, and I feel like what the Lord has shown me is that while I absolutely do not believe that anxiety or depression, that they come from God, I believe he is a good father who only gives good gifts. 
I do believe at times in his mercy, he allows us to experience these uncomfortable emotions as a warning sign that there's something off inside of us, that we've embraced an inferior reality, that we've allowed our heart to put our hope in something other than Jesus, which will only lead to disappointment and heartache. And God doesn't want that for us. He's trying to let us know, hey, there's something off. And just like for a patient to have physical symptoms, to let them know that there's something wrong, that they need to seek the care of a physician. When we have anxiety and depression, those are warning signs. Those are symptoms that we need to go to the great physician who's lovingly waiting to heal your heart, to free you from the lives that have bound you and to set you free. So good. I told you guys this was going to be good, right? So going back to the temptations that Jesus experienced in the wilderness, we're gonna talk about three different idols that we feel like he was confronted with. Number one is the idol of comfort. Number two is the idol of performance. And number three is the idol of control. And so we're gonna look at how the enemy presented these different idols to Jesus, how Jesus responded, and then ultimately what we can learn from his approach. And so the first idol, like I said, we wanna talk about the idol of comfort. And I know Katie has some really great thoughts on that. We're gonna go ahead and read Matthew 4, one through four. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the opening verse we just read, it says that Jesus was hungry. And I know you're like, okay, that's really obvious. We just read that. But I think it is really important to remember that Jesus had needs just like we do. He experienced things just like we do. And he was hungry in this moment. And this was not an I miss breakfast kind of hungry. Um, He hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And I think what's so interesting is it says that when the tempter came to him, um, that that's, that's when he came to attempt to get to get Jesus to embrace the idol of comfort. It was when he became hungry. And so it wasn't the bread itself that was bad. It was just in that moment, um, it was now being turned into a tool of the enemy, wanting Jesus to choose comfort over connection with his father. The enemy was hoping, just like he does for you and me, that we would abandon our destiny for a temporary comfort. And comfort and pleasure were not created by Satan, but God himself. If you think about it, Satan can't create. He can only distort. So things like friendships, food, play, rest, those are all good things that God created for us to enjoy. And they even bring people together. But the, but the, the goal of the enemy is to get us to turn these good things into ultimate things. Right. I read something the other day that said, the truth is, the more we pursue our comforts and pleasures, the more they pursue us. They become our taskmaster, ruling our life. This is true of all idols. You see, the problem with an idol is it gives us the illusion of freedom because we get what we want in the moment. We believe that it is serving us. But idols, including the idol of comfort, will only give you temporary fulfillment and will always demand more and more from you, more of your time, more of your energy, more of your heart, and ultimately your destiny. The world tells us to do what feels good and right to us. 
even encourages us to create our own truth or my truth, or maybe you've heard live your truth, speak your truth. Um, I really got intrigued by this and I was like, there has to be a definition out there for my truth. So I found one on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> it's good, I promise. <laughs> but Urban Dictionary defines my truth as a non-negotiable personal opinion. So in other words, it is a personal opinion that we label as absolute truth. And I heard this quote, when it comes to your own truth, your truth is always measured by how you feel in the moment. It is always going to choose what is most comfortable in a moment and not what is best for you in the long run. For instance, it may feel more good and more comfortable in the moment to go out partying and drinking with friends, to have sex, to be in that unhealthy relationship, um, to look at things on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at, or um, maybe to dress in a way that gets you attention. Those things may feel more comfortable in the moment, but we have to consider the long-term consequences, and this is the reason why. Because the enemy is more focused on your future than you are. And the way he gets you to forget about your future is to get you focused on what feels good to you right now in this moment. When Jesus was faced with choosing between comfort or connection with the Father, he said to the enemy, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word is scripture, it's God's truth. It's his truth, not ours. Jesus did not promise that the truth would make you comfortable, but he did promise that the truth would set you free. And there is true freedom, one that promises rest, protection, and guidance. A freedom that only comes from Jesus himself. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. It's not me that does those things. It's he, it's him, it's Jesus. I would like to just share a quick story with you. Um, last fall, I took an art class at Baker Hunt and it was a six week class and the first day, our instructor told us to pick a picture that we wanted to paint and I think they might have it up, up here. Um, but I fell in love with this picture of a sheep on a hill. Um, and I had worked the entire six weeks on it. Um, I got to the very end and realized I had to add one more detail. And it was the bell around the sheep's neck. At this point, I wasn't sure if I wanted to leave it like that or if I wanted to attempt to add the bell. If I attempted to add the bell, it's possible I could just ruin the picture right here and there and all of my work would go down the drain. Um, but I remember asking my instructor, I'm like, hey, what do you think? Do you think it needs the bell? Do you think it's fine how it is? And I'll never forget his response. He said, I really think you could go either way, really. I mean, I think if you leave it now, it's fine. Um, but I actually kind of like it without the bell. He said it looks free, it looks happy, looks like it doesn't belong to anybody, just looks like it can do whatever it wants. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit so strongly speak to my heart and say, 
And that's why you have to add the bell. Because it is because of that very bell that the sheep is able to rest securely on the hill, to not worry about the dangers around it because the shepherd is close. And the way Jesus combated the idol of comfort in the wilderness was confronting the enemy's lie with truth of scripture. Proverbs 3 says to not let truth leave you, to bind it around your neck, to tie it around your neck. Like the bell around the sheep's neck, we must carry truth with us. And the truth is, Jesus is the one who provides our true freedom. The truth is, it is Jesus who is our shepherd who watches over us, protects us. The truth is, he is the one who makes me lie down in green pastures, who restores our soul. It's, the truth is that Jesus is the one who guides us along the right paths. The truth is that even when we face the darkest and hardest parts of life, the darkest valleys, that we don't have to be afraid because his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Don't buy into the lie that you don't need a comforter or that you can find comfort in anything else other than Jesus himself. He is the true comfort that our hearts and our souls long for. So good, so good. So, so that was the idol of comfort. We're gonna, we're gonna take a look at the second temptation of Jesus, which is the idol of performance. And starting with verse five, it says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had Jesus stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, the enemy said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So, so what is it that the enemy's targeting in this second temptation? He's trying to get Jesus to prove that he's worthy to be who God has already said that he is through performance. In order to really understand this, we have to go back to the story right before this, which is the baptism of Jesus, where he goes to John the Baptist and Jesus is baptized. And we read that the, the, the spirit descended like a dove and it remained on Jesus. And it said that there's a voice from heaven, the voice of the father that said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And what's the first thing that the enemy goes after in this temptation? He says, if you are the son of God, then do this and prove it perform and show that you are worthy to be called the son of God. Isn't it interesting that the enemy went after not only Jesus' identity, but the last bit of truth that we heard the father speak over him? Don't be surprised if the enemy goes after the truth that's spoken over you this week, the truth that's spoken over you in this service. Those of you getting baptized, don't be surprised if the enemy tries to whisper in your ear this week that you're not worthy to be a son or daughter of God. He did that to Jesus. What would make you think that he wouldn't try to do that same thing to you? We wanna be aware of what he's trying to do and so we can overcome it. And, and also don't be surprised if the enemy tries to get you to buy into the lie of performance. Dallas Willard wrote that performance is where we try to make an impression rather than just be what we are. The lie of the idol of performance is that we can earn God's affection and attention through our achievements, that through performance, we can become lovable in some way that we can define and control. We try to become in our own eyes and in the eyes of others, what we already are in the eyes of the father. 
And we crave to feel worthy of connection and attention and, and to feel like we belong to God. But what we do is when we try to earn that, we get our eyes and our affection off of God and put them onto ourselves. And that's always gonna lead to discouragement because we're not meant to be the fulfillment to our own lives. It only comes through our identity as sons and daughters of God. The enemy tries to get us to buy into the live performance, not by challenging us to jump off a building to see if angels will catch us, but it's by whispering in your ear that to be truly lovable, to have value, to be worthy of connection with God and others, you have to look a certain way. You have to get a certain grade on a test. You have to come through when the pressure is on, either on the field or in a concert or in that big project you have going on at work. It's about being seen as the prettiest, the strongest, the smartest, the funniest, the most popular or even the most spiritual. It's about being seen as perfect in order to feel worthy of connection with God and others. I think many times the things that we are called to do feel so heavy and so hard, not because of the tasks themselves, but because of the weight of performance that we've placed on ourselves, shouldering the burden of outcomes and how we're perceived when we are never meant to carry those weight. And what happens are the very things that used to bring us so much joy that we were doing to honor God and to advance his kingdom, they begin to feel like a weight around our necks that's dragging us to the bottom of an ocean of shame and anxiety. So how do we overcome this? I think it takes a shift in the way that we think about things and how, how we look at and determine things like success. Let me give you an example. A, a few months ago, I saw a video, maybe you saw it too. It was a really inspiring video of the, Oklahoma women's softball team and they're uh, one of the best teams in the country and they were in the tournament and they had uh, had a great season and they were getting ready to play in uh, upcoming the championship game and there was a reporter from ESPN that asked one of the players Grace Lyons who's one of the best players in the country and also a believer and this is what the reporter asked he said it's a long season and you all have had a target on your back the entire time how do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? And she said, the only way you can have joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, just in a good mindset, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, joy from the Lord is the only thing. So that's uh, the only thing that can keep you embracing these memories, these moments, and these friendships. So that's really the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that because of how much failure comes in it and how much of a roller coaster the game can be. Grace demonstrated so much wisdom. Her focus wasn't on outcomes. She recognized there was things in the field, things that happened in the field that were out of her control. Just like there's things in our lives that are out of our control, there's gonna be ups and downs. But the reason she could have so much confidence is because her identity was not based upon outcomes on the field. But because her confidence was in her identity as a daughter of God, she knew that she was able to make the most of every moment, every opportunity to enjoy her teammates and enjoy um, the journey along the way. And what was Jesus' response when the enemy was trying to get him to prove his identity through performance? Jesus said to not put the Lord God to the test. When the enemy is trying to get you to perform, to essentially for you to take a test to prove that you have value, you can, to prove that you're lovable, you can simply respond, I'm not taking that test. 
You can say, I don't have to put God's love to the test because I know the words that he has spoken over me. He says that he has plans to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future. He says that nothing can separate me from his love, not my failures, not my imperfections, not the way that others perceive me. My identity is not based upon my performance. It's all related to his love for me and to my love for him. The third idol that we want to look at is the idol of control. And it felt really personal when Dr. Hudson and Katie asked me to speak on this topic. No, you, she, she grabbed that topic. She wanted to control. Yeah, I chose it. it. I want to control. Any self-admitted control freaks in the room, you're like, that's me. If, if there's a road trip, you're driving. And if you're not, you're backseat driving, right? If the ox is available, you're choosing the playlist. If plans are being made, you're deciding who what, where, when, most importantly, when it's ending, right? Yes. Any moms in the room? You're like, bedtime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if there's a group project at work, you're going to take the lead. Um, but in Matthew 4, 8, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. So here Jesus is tempted to take his destiny into his own hands. You and I would know that the plan that God had for Jesus's life was for him to die on the cross so that you and I might have eternal life. Then he would raise from the dead three days later and then he would ascend to the right hand of the father. And then all the kingdoms of the world would be his. They are his. That, that is his destiny. But what the devil was offering Jesus was a shortcut to his destiny that did not involve pain. He just only needed to worship something else. And I think that the idol of control begins this way. If it's easier or faster to get what we want, then we're game. Can you imagine if Jesus's fear of the future would have talked him out of securing our salvation? Can you, can you imagine if he would have skipped the part of the story that would have been the catalyst for his destiny? Can you imagine if Jesus agreed, you know what, you're right. It would be easier if we just left God out of this part. I got this, don't worry about it. You, I'm sure you and I could both conclude that the ending would be pretty bad. And the thing is, we do that all the time though. Whenever we are con confronted, situations that involve pain or fear, that's, that's when we do this exact thing. And it's not out of ill will, but really the idol of control stems from three different areas. Number one, we want to control what happens around us. We want to control what happens to us. And we want to control what others think of us. I am a recovering control freak. Okay. Self-admitted. I actually just came out of counseling and uh, before this service, I almost um, was telling Luke, I almost like omitted this detail because there's a quote by Brené Brown. She says that uh, the weakness we see in ourselves is what we see as courage in others. Yeah. And so I almost omitted this part, but I just wanted to let you know that it's okay to get help. It's Good. okay to have yeah. someone to process things with. So 10 out of 10 recommend, loved counseling. I actually graduated, I achievement, yes. <laughs> Maybe I need to work on the adult performance, right? Uh, anyway, I just came out of counseling a few months ago and I went in with a few different unrelated areas that I just wanted some help in. Uh, these areas were just causing me a lot of anxiety. I didn't like the road that it was headed down. And so I kind of just had to have a conversation with myself. And I was just like, this just needs to stop here. I need to develop some good, healthy coping mechanisms. 
And um, the thing is, is I cared about these areas so much. I would lose sleep over these areas. And I would just constantly think to myself, like, can I do, can I do, say the right thing? Can I do the right thing? Will this be enough? Can I convince this person that's involved to do this? Because I think that this would solve this issue. And slowly but surely, I began to feel like this master puppeteer keeping my life in perfect balance. And my counselor told me that the underlying theme of all of these supposedly unrelated areas was the theme of control. She let me know that I was mistaking control for care. I thought that the more involved I was in the situation, the more I cared about the situation, but really I was just trying to control the outcome. Even when I would pray and trust God with these things, I was telling him exactly how it needed to go. And I felt like I was giving God the script for the movie of my life. But here's what I realized is that as long as I needed to be the one to make it happen, as long as I needed to be the one calling the shots, I was actually telling God that I did not need him and that I did not trust him. And the reason I was so anxious was because that these were things that only God could change anyway. And here's my point. Whatever area of your life you try to control the most shows where you trust God the least. And it's when these areas in our life, our cares become obsessions, when we're frustrated and anxious and on edge and we're wondering how things are gonna turn out. That's a sign to you that things are off. It's a sign that your care for that thing has turned into controlling that thing. It's a sign that you have stepped out of faith and into fear. Fear that God's not thinking about your future. Fear that God's not gonna intervene. Fear that God isn't listening. And so you and I choose to get involved. We stay up, we worry, we put immense amounts of pressure on ourselves to just orchestrate it all. But when you release it, that is when God is able to do things that you and I could never make happen on our own. And hear me, I'm not saying give up on your dream. I'm not saying give up on the promise that God said to you. What I'm saying is you have to release the worry, release the frustration, release your idea of how you think it needs to go. Psalm 138 says, God will work out his plan for your life. So God knows how to get you where you are supposed to be. He has it all planned out the right opportunities, the good breaks, the right conversations, the right people, the right relationships, the healing, the situation with your kids, all of that is perfectly on schedule. So my question is, what's upsetting you? What's keeping you up at night? God's saying, give that to me. And the thing that I had to learn is that the dreams and the desires that God placed in my heart, they were put there by him, but they were not meant to be fulfilled by me. You are going to drive yourself crazy trying to control things that you were never meant to control in the first place because you will try to make it work and make it do this just right. And when it fails, you will feel like it was your fault. Literally this past week, I started slipping back into some of those old tendencies. I wanted to do it all, be it all. I wanted everyone to be impressed by how I was handling it all. And I can remember after just doing this stretch of time, trying to just do everything, be everything. I can remember I just ended up sitting in my room, completely broken, empty, and exhausted. And I felt like a failure in areas that were too many to count. I was failing as a team member. I was failing as a pastor. I was failing as a mentor. I was failing as a friend. I was failing as a wife. I was failing as a mom. I was trying to give 100% to 10 different areas, but I ended up falling short in every single one. And here is what the Lord showed me, is that I gained nothing other than anxiety from trying to be someone in something that God never asked me to be. He never asked me to do it all. 
You know, it's interesting about the devil wanting Jesus to worship him is that he simply wanted to get his focus off of God. So in the same way, why would God want me to take on anything with my time that would leave no time for him? Anything that comes into your life that is not from God is meant to take you out. And you might be wondering, well, how am I supposed to discern the difference between what's from God and what's not from God? And I'll tell you, anything that is not from God, you will know by what it asks you to do. The devil said, worship me and your idol. Insert the thing that takes up all of your time, your attention, your focus, your worries, your concerns. Insert that thing. The devil said, worship me and your idol will do the same. You may not worship that thing with your voice, but be very careful that you don't fall into the trap of worshiping it with your time and your attention. Everything that I was doing this past week when I started to slip into these old tendencies, everything I was doing was a good thing, by the way. I was helping pull off our youth camp. That's for the Lord. Shouldn't that be good? Shouldn't that make God happy? But here's the thing is I wasn't worried about how it was honoring God. I was trying to control what people thought of me. And that's how the idol of control works. It starts with a good thing. It starts with you wanting something good, but then in our pride and in our selfishness, we claw and we climb and we strive and we control our way to it. And that's how it gets ruined. Can I tell you that if you have to force your way to it, it's not meant for you right now. My pride in wanting to control what was happening around me, to me, people's perception of me, it made a good thing into the ugly idol of control. And in Galatians 5, it gives us a perfect picture of what happens when we try to get our own way all the time. It says, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone around you into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. That's how it starts. So when we want it our way, we're thinking short-term happiness. What's gonna make me happy now? What's going to give me peace now? What's gonna make me popular now? What's gonna make me successful now? And like a bottle rocket, it looks bright at first. It fizzles up, it's going, it's going, it's going. And then it's gone and you're left with a mess to clean up. But God is considering the long game. He's thinking about the things that will develop your character. He's thinking about the things that will give you joy, not just circumstantial happiness. He's thinking about how you're gonna get the peace that passes all understanding, not just numbness in the moment. And so here's what it says in verse 22. It says, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, but we are able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. So which way do you wanna live? I can tell you right now that I'd rather be excited about life, have an exuberance about life, than be living in the trap of anxiety. I would much rather have God give me the gifts and the right people and the right opportunities in his timing than trying to force my way to it and ending up ruining it anyway. So my question for you is, what are you trying to go your way that God wants you to surrender to his way? 
One of the best and hardest prayers you will ever pray is God, not my will, but let your will be done. I can remember when, um, this would have been in 2020, Luke and I uh, had found out, and we've shared this publicly, but we found out that we were not going to be able to have kids on our own. And she told me that there was nothing I'd be able to do about it. And of course, I took that as a personal challenge. I decided that I was gonna make this happen. I was gonna control everything. So I went on this complete overhaul of my health. Every detail of my life was down to a science and it, it really did become an obsession for me. And I can remember when I went back for my follow-up appointment, I was ready for her to tell me that I had fixed myself, that I had healed myself, that everything was fine. And of course, she said, nothing had changed. And I went home completely devastated. I opened up my Bible to the story of Hannah and Samuel. And I can remember praying and just tears hitting my Bible. And I just was like, God, like, this isn't what you want for me. I'm okay with it now. I'll be faithful to everything else that you've given me. And it broke me. But I finally let go of the way that I thought it was supposed to play out. I trusted that God would just fulfill that desire in a different way. So I didn't release the dream. I didn't release the desire that he had placed in my heart. I just let go of how I thought it was supposed to look. And this is what happened with Abraham in the Bible too. He had his son, Isaac. He, this was the child that he had prayed for year after year. He finally showed up. He had him. He loved this child more than anything else in the world. And one day God told Abraham to put Isaac on the altar and to sacrifice the thing that meant the most to him. Obviously confused, Abraham was completely devastated and he was like, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know what to do, but he just decided to let go of control and trust God. And he was like, God, I don't know why you're asking this of me. This means more than anything to me. You know how hard I prayed for this thing. You know how badly I wanted this thing, but I'm gonna trust you. And even if this doesn't go how I want it to go, I'm gonna still figure out how to trust you in it. And when God saw his willingness to put on the altar the thing that meant the most to him, that was when God said, no, don't do it. And he gave his son back to him. And so my point is, is God is looking for your willingness to trust him with your dream, to trust him with your family, to trust him with your relationships. And there's actually a medical condition called golfer's elbow. And believe it or not, you can actually get this condition without ever playing golf athletes will go into a physical therapist's office and they will think that they've injured their elbow from lifting uh, too heavy of weights, but it's actually not about what they were lifting, but how tightly they were holding on to the weight. And you may have walked in here holding on to heavy things and you're just desperate to let go. You are in pain, but you just, it's not that you don't want to let go. It's just you, like me, you care so much about that thing. And I'm here to tell you that if life feels heavy right now, it is because you are carrying the pressure of making it happen on your own. If your relationships are causing you all of this pain, it's because you are trying to control how they think or how they act or what they think of you. If your future is causing you to be dragged down and overwhelmed, it's because you are white knuckling your plans. I think of when you're at the gym and you need a spotter and the spotter is there to catch the weight when we can't lift it on our own. But the key is, is you have to let go of the weight in order to receive the help that you need. As long as you hang on to that weight, that's how you're gonna get hurt. That's how you're gonna get injured. So as long as I'm hanging on to these things, I'm never going to be able to receive the help that I need. So you are going to have to release some things in order to receive some things. 
We don't have to control what happens around us, what happens to us, what others think of us when we have a God that is for us. His word says that he works things together for our good. And sometimes you and I sit in these seats and we're trying to play God and we're trying to fix things and we're trying to vindicate ourselves and we're trying to fix the situation at home or at work or at school or at church. But God does not need our help. He doesn't need you. He's not looking for your advice. He's not looking for you to make it happen. He's not asking you what your plan A is. He's looking to see, are your hands open and ready to receive his help? There are some battles that you and I will have to face that are for God and God alone, but he cannot help us until we drop it at his feet. So how do you release the idol of control and receive peace? You worship. And sometimes the greatest act of worship that you and I could ever do is surrendering the things that we really wanted to go our way. Like Abraham, you are going to have to lay down your plans at the altar. And it may even be something that you really wanted, that you've been praying for for years, but you've got to ask, God, is this what you want? I told you that this past week that even I've been struggling with the idol of control. And it's, it's made my mind run a million miles a minute. There are areas of my life that I still need peace in, that I still need help in. And I remember in my room when I was feeling that way, I just remember God impressing on my heart that it had been a little while since I had come and laid some things down at the altar. And an altar is simply a place of exchange. A lot of times when we say altar, we think like the front of a stage, but it's just, it's a place of exchange. In the Old Testament, Families would offer a perfect sacrifice in order to receive a year of atonement or forgiveness. And then in the New Testament, Jesus became our perfect sacrifice and now the altar is in our hearts. Your heart is where the place of exchange happens today. And so I don't know what things you need to release in order to receive healing today, but I know what I've gotta do. And so what I want us to do is I wanna invite you to stand up to your feet and I'm gonna invite you today to go to the altar with me. We're gonna go into a time of worship. And by the way, the service is not over. This is just a moment for us to give things that we've been carrying that aren't ours to carry to the Lord. So I'm just gonna ask that even if this moment isn't for you, that you respect it for the person who this is for them. And so I'm gonna invite you to come to the altar with me. I'm gonna invite you to bring some things that maybe feel impossible. So right now, I'm just gonna encourage you to worship. I'm gonna encourage you to go to the altar. I'm gonna encourage you to begin to take inventory of your heart. What things are you carrying around that aren't yours to carry? For me, I've gotta lay down the pressure to perform. I've gotta lay down the pressure to be perfect. I've gotta lay down the pressure that I'm putting on myself to be the one to make it happen, to be the one to keep it all together. Maybe you're in here and you're like, I need to lay down some pressure right now for in my job, or I need to lay down pressure to keep my family together. And maybe you need to lay down things that you're chasing that are just temporary fixes. You're, the worldly things that you're chasing for comfort, you need to lay that down. You need to ask for the peace that surpasses all understanding. Maybe you, you're in here and you just need to be desperate. You've been stonewalled for a long time. Can I tell you something? That desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. So if you, you might need to get a little desperate. If you're not feeling God move in some areas of your life, you need to lift up your hands right now and say, God, I'm coming to the altar. I'm coming to you right now. God, I'm lifting this up to you. God, I'm releasing the pressure. God, I'm releasing things to you. God, I'm asking. My hands are open. They are lifted. God, my hands are open. And I'm saying right now, God, I'm ready to receive your healing. God, I'm ready to do things your way. God, I'm ready to give this situation to you. God, I'm ready to receive your peace. 
Lord, I'm ready to receive your direction. God, I'm ready to receive, God, what you have for me, Lord. Right here, right now, God, with my hands open, what that means is I'm dropping the weight that's not mine to carry and I'm leaving it at this altar. Lord, I surrender right now things that are not mine to control, people that are not mine to control, God, but I take accountability for myself and I surrender. God, myself to your will and to your plan and to your purpose. In Jesus' mighty name. So with every hand lifted in this room, say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to do things your way, not my way, not a second longer, not a day longer, Lord. This is yours, and I leave it at this altar in Jesus' name. today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv forward slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church podcast.